Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. Let's go over to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter um, 2 this evening, 2 Peter chapter 2. Appreciate if you'll find that. Um, this gets interesting to me, um, this part of Peter. If I'm honest with you, in addition to the fact that uh, we just preached out of 1 Peter before this and 2 Peter was following it, that was one of my leading causes to keep on reading and studying Peter. But the second reason that I wanted to go into this study with y'all really was driven by what I know is in chapter 2, talking about false teachers and what the Bible's telling us about those kinds of people that will will one day, and not one day, but every day, try to infiltrate the church. So um, that's why we're in this study in part, because I'm really wanting to study this and look at it. And Peter gives in really starting about the, pa- the place where we're picking up in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10. We're actually going to pick up in the middle of that verse. But starting there and really going down to verse 16, really beyond verse 16, but I'm going to give a little bit of a different emphasis when we go next week going into 17 and, and beyond. But really starting in the middle of verse 10 and going pretty much to the end of the chapter, he gives this rapid fire series of words and phrases and he's just describing who these false prophets, these false teachers are. He's telling you all about it. I mean, you look at it, you'll you'll read it here in just a minute, but you're going to see he's just going to give all kinds of phrases and thoughts about who these people are and how terrible they are. He is in a phrase, if I can put it to you this way, what he's about to do, and I'm going to read this for you, what he's going to do for us is give us the characteristics. What do false teachers, false prophets, people who are false Christians, say they're a Christian but really aren't, What is it that they look like? What are some of the telltale signs? He's going to give that to us right now. And I want to ask you to read along with me. I'm in 2 Peter chapter 2, look in verse um, 10. And like I said, right in the middle of that, there's a period. And then we're going to start the the second sentence of verse 10. It says, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, Bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots are they and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart that have they have and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass, speaking with the man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. 
Lord, help me as I preach. Help them as they listen. And I'm asking in Jesus' name. Amen. What, have, what do we learn about false teachers, false Christians? I think there's, and woven in there, there's this idea of punishment, right? I think we saw that, and we saw that last week, that God is going to win. He's going to overrun these false teachers, no matter what they say or do. They don't win. But what are some of the marks of them? Let me just briefly point those out to you before I give you this thought tonight. The marks are first in, in verse 10, the last part there. They're presumptuous and they're brash. They're bold in how they operate. The last part of verse 10, it talks about how they are full of insults. They don't mind speaking evil of somebody. Verse 12, they talk a bunch of nonsense. What they say doesn't make any sense. Not really. They don't even understand it. In fact, in verse 13, they are going about their lives flaunting their sins to the point where in verse 14, he says that they're constantly sinning. He talks about adultery being before their eyes. Literally, everywhere they're looking, they're finding new ways to commit sin. And they're good at it. He uses that phrase in verse 14, the last part, that they have exercised their heart. They literally have got their heart to the point where they are good at sinning. They know how to find the sin, they get to it, and they do it as often as they possibly can. They've exercised in it. They, 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 they know how to do that well. And it appears in verse 15 that they knew the right way, but they chose, they have found the wrong way, they've forsaken the right way, and have chosen to go the wrong way. They are in, in, in a phrase or in, in a thought, they are sinning with impunity. You ever met somebody that just soon lies to tell you the truth? That's what these kind of people are. They don't care who they hurt. They don't care how badly they hurt them. And what this passage, I believe, is giving us, and this is the application that I want to give you. I want to take some time to, to go through each of these verses and, and pull this out of here for you to help you see it. But I think there's a warning here. Certainly there's a warning against false teachers. We're going to hear that next week. We heard it last week, and it'll be a part of what I'm going to tell you tonight. But I think there's a warning here for you and me as we listen to what a false Christian is about to make sure we're not false Christians, to make sure we are who we say we are. More importantly, we are who God says that we are if we're in Christ. We need to make sure that we are taking this as a warning, a warning specifically not to be so presumptuous when it comes to sin. I hope you'll see this for just a moment. I want, I want to give you just this idea of not being presumptuous about sin because first of all, you need to understand that your sin, every person's sin, is going to be rewarded. Now you might think of the word reward as a good thing. No, reward just means you get something for what you did. And you're going to get as good as you give when it comes to sin. You will be rewarded for that. I, don't, I want to just get, help you follow along, or would you follow along with me as I help you see this thought in, uh, in this passage. In, in verse 10, just go back and we're going to go take a little more of a sharp eye on this. In verse 10, again, starting it with the word presumptuous, that first or second sentence in the, in the verse. He says that false teachers essentially are, are full of themselves. They're presumptuous and self-willed. They're presumptuous and self-willed. They just, they just think they, nobody can touch them. They can do what they want to do. They can do anything, and nobody's going to bother them. And so much so, it says there that they, um, in verse 10, the last part, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. 
Now, there's some, some interpretation problems here, just so you know. There's a, really kind of two schools of thought on what these dignities are. The one uh, common theme is that these dignities are probably um, some sort of angelic being. The question is, is it good, good angels or bad angels? Are they the ones in heaven or are they the ones that have fallen, from, from, uh, fallen to hell? I, I believe, and um, for the sake of time and your own interest, I won't bore you with the why, although if you're interested, I'm glad to talk to you about it. Um, but I believe that it is talking of that these are the evil angels that he's talking of, that they speak evil of evil angels. And the reason I would give you that, just a, one little bit of support in case you need something on that, because I don't pull this out of thin air, uh, if you go to Jude verses 8 and 9, there's a parallel passage there that actually talks about Michael the archangel having a uh, battle with Satan, if you know that story at all. And in that passage, which is very parallel to this, it is talking about how Michael is fighting Satan. I don't know who y'all think he is, but he's an evil angel. Any way you look at it, he's fighting Satan. And as he's fighting Satan, it says that Michael doesn't even dare to bring these railing accusations against the devil. So taking that as, a, as kind of my lead there, I believe that he's talking about uh, the devil and his angels. So in other words, these false teachers are so full of themselves that they don't even dare to worry about, they don't care, they'll, they're glad to insult the devil. Something that even in verse 11 it says that even angels dare not tread on that ground. The good angels, that is. Again, go to Jude 8 and 9, you'll see Michael, one of the, the big angels, the, the, the general angels, he's not, he's not even going to rail against the devil. Now, if there's anybody that ever deserved an insult, it'd be the devil, but here what I'm trying to get you to see, and I believe that these people are, what they're doing is that they are glad to underestimate the power of Satan. In fact, what they do in verse 12 is they're natural brute beasts. They're kind of like an animal, kind of like an animal. They just act on instinct, whatever their gut says, how do they feel at the moment. That's how they're going to act. They're going to do that in those things. So they, it says there that they are acting like brute beasts. They don't have any understanding. It says they, they, speak evil of, uh, they speak evil of all things that they understand not. So they're glad to go and rail against the devil, talk against the devil, underestimate the devil. They are willing to treat him without any kind of respect to who he is. Now, now y'all might be saying, well, why in the world do we want to respect the devil? Don't, don't, don't miss this. I don't love... I'm not in love with a car going 100 miles an hour, but I have enough respect to go stand, not to stand in front of it. You understand the, what I'm talking about there as far as respect? That's the kind of respect we're talking about, understanding the power that he has. And I think we need to do that with the devil. In fact, that's what's going on here. These people don't. So what they do is they willingly poke and tease and toy with things of this world that will destroy them. I, I think that there are Christians who do this, people who name the name of Christ who do this. There are things that we could argue, well, there's nothing really wrong with that. But I think we're toying, we're teasing, we're going on the edge of something, we're disrespecting the power that that can have on our soul to control us, to take us down paths, whether we're talking about friendships and relationships, 
whether we're talking about things that we consume, drinks and, and, and food and things like that, or whether we're talking about places we go, things we associate ourselves with, music that we listen to. These are all things that you might argue, and I think successfully, if you really want to get down to it, successfully argue they're, they're on the fence, but you're underestimating the devil's power, which is why the Bible tells us in a couple of places not to make occasion for the flesh. Don't open yourselves up to this. Don't be like these false teachers said, ah, the devil ain't got nothing on me. Well, he might not, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, he might not have anything on the Holy Spirit, but he can get a hold of you. He can do a thing or two to you. It is not greater is he that has the Holy Spirit in him. That's not the way the Bible reads. It's greater is he that's in you. You're not the greater one. It's the Lord who's the greater one. So we have to be careful not to be like, dogs and just do what we want to do and say ah devil ain't doing nothing to me no 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 we got to understand who we're up against we may not i hope you don't love the devil i hope you don't honor the devil in that way but you do need to respect him as an evil foe and his demons as one who will come after you and tempt you but he says there in verse 12 that there is a reward for that disrespect. Look what he says. He says, they speak evil of the things they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness. The very sin that they're sitting there playing with, the very demonic beings that they don't think have any power over them, those same beings and those same sins come back and destroy them. That's what they're being destroyed by. That is the payment. It, is, it, is, it says there it's the reward. It's the just payment for being presumptuous. It's the just payment for being, can I just say it this way? It's the just payment for being stupid. In fact, uh, at the end where he talks about Balaam, he says that Balaam, it, it, this, the, the, this donkey spoke with a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. That word madness there, it, you could just call it stupidity. That's really what that word means. That's the sense it's, it's used in that sentence. And so that's what he's saying is it's just the, the just reward for your stupidity to not acknowledge that you've got the Holy Spirit who's wise, who gives you wisdom. That's where our wisdom comes from, is from the Holy Spirit and from the Scriptures. Yet what we do is we're going to go on our own gut. That feels right. I don't see a problem with it. Everybody else is doing it. The devil can't harm me, and we're just going to go after it. And I think this, in those cases, we are going to be destroyed by the very sin that we're playing with. The only hope is that you'll respond to your sin when you acknowledge it, when the, when the Lord brings it to your mind. I, I believe this is how it works. When you have sin in your life and you're a Christian, he'll bring it up to you. And sometimes he does it to you in your heart. Sometimes he does it because you get slapped on the back of the head because somebody else found out about it. Sometimes he does it because you hear a message that's preached or some passage that you read, but some way or somehow, God's going to get a hold of you and say, you need to deal with this. And when you get that, never, ever, ever, ever think, I can handle it. Now you may say, well, I know that. Well, why do you keep on doing it then? And I say that to Matthew Tilly as much as I say it to any one of y'all. We know, I know better than to say I, can't, I can handle it. But as the old saying goes, sin will take you farther than you'll ever want to go. And it's going to keep you longer than you'll ever want to stay. And it will absolutely always cost you more than you would ever imagine that it would cost you. So you need to understand that the devil is not to be trifled with. His demonic forces are not to be 
played with. And I'm not just talking about sitting around a Ouija board or some crazy thing like that, although you ought not be doing that mess either. I'm talking about, I'm talking specifically about what you and I face on a day-to-day basis in terms of the demonic forces. They show up. You know how they show up? In tempting you to do what exactly you want to do, what your gut wants to do, what your heart wants to do naturally. And what we say, we justify it. I can handle it. It's not a big deal. I know that person over there, this would mess them up, but I'm stronger than that. I can deal with this. No, no, we ought not, because there is a reward for sin, and it is not a good reward. We never should be toying with the forces of evil, never make occasion for the flesh, because that force of evil that you toy with today will, if I can put it this way, he will toy with you tomorrow. In fact, there will be, I think there's there's some kind of poetic and odd and scary justice that is served in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus says that there will be people coming to me. In Matthew 7, 21 and 22, he says, there are going to be people coming to me in that day and saying, Lord, we cast out devils in your name. And he says, I don't know you. Depart from me and you're going to go into the everlasting flame. I need y'all to imagine this with me for a minute. That person who thinks, I got the devil by the tail and goes before the Lord in that final day and say, what are you talking about? I'm not one of yours. I had the devil by the tail. I, I, he, I, he had nothing on me. I, 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 had him, I had him under control. And basically it reveals to you, gets revealed to you that that's what the devil wanted you to think all along. He wanted you to think he was under your, under your thumb while he had you the whole time. And I need you to be careful to say, when you say, greater is he that is in me, 1 John 4, 4, believe that. The Lord is greater than the devil. He will win every time and twice on Sunday. He will. But it's not you that's greater. You need to have the humility and the repentance to know when that sin gets a hold of you and it gets a hold of the best of us. Instead of us being presumptuous and say, I I got this, I'll figure this out. We need to fall on our face and say, Lord, that sin's got a hold of me again. And that devil's bigger and power, more powerful than I can't, than I'm ever going to be. You're going to have to deal with this again, Lord. Now, he's promised he will. He's faithful and just to forgive us for all of our sins. 1 John 1, verse 9. So don't think this is hopeless. Where the hopelessness shows up is when we are like these false teachers and we are presumptuous about it. I got this. I can say what I want to, that stupid devil. He ain't got nothing on me. I understand where you're coming from. I get it. But be careful. Because when you're in that position, <laughs> you've got to be careful. That's where the fall starts to happen. A lot of times these people in powerful positions, when they, when they fall from their high, lofty position, it often starts by the fact that they think, well, I got this figured out. I'm good. That's where the fall begins. Now it says in verse 13 that these teachers, this right after the, the receiving the reward, it says that they counted a pleasure to riot in the daytime. These are false teachers, and they just openly flaunt their sin. This idea of rioting is not rioting like burning down buildings and throwing bricks through windows and stuff like that. That's not necessarily the rioting that's in mind. It's really more of a kind of a pretty raucous party, if you can imagine that. That's kind of what, what's in mind there. But 
The idea, though, is not about the party or the necessarily exactly what they're doing. It's more about that idea that they're glad to do it in the daytime, out in front of God and everybody. <laughs> they don't mind who sees them. They're just going to do what they're going to do. He says that they are spots and they're blemishes. They're that next phrase. Their spots are they and blemishes. Uh, that, that idea that there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's dirt on them. There's, a, there's, a, there's something that's messed up that it's clear they're marked by their sin. Best way I can describe this is if you've got somebody who's truly rioting in the daytime and you come up upon them, we're not rioting, I'm not talking about the burning down stuff, I'm talking about like having a party in the daytime, and you come up on them, you're probably going to smell it on them, probably going to see stains on them because of things that they're doing. There's gonna, it's going to be evident that that's on, and that's exactly what these spots and these marks are. It's, you're walking up on these people, and they've been having a ball. They've been involved in their sin. They have been chasing their sin, and it's all over them. And he says in verse 14, their eyes are full of adultery and they cannot cease from sin. They're constantly pursuing their lusts. Constantly going after it. To the point then, he says there, that they're beguiling unstable souls. They are leading people astray. It keeps coming back to my mind as I keep reading that particular phrase, these unstable souls. I believe it, it, it should hearken you, or at least it does for me, hearkens me back to what Jesus is calling those little ones. In Matthew 18, he says not to offend the little ones. He says if you offend one of these little ones, you might as well just go ahead and put a millstone about your neck and jump into the ocean. I think that's what he's got in mind here. At least if, if he doesn't have that in mind, there, there's something very similar that he has in mind to this. That that's what these people are doing. They're, they're constantly going after their sin. They're fulfilling their lust. They're doing what they want to do, and they don't care who knows it and who goes to hell with them. That's what they want. And what's funny about it, though, is I think they think they're fooling everybody. He says in the next phrase, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. And this word feast, what's in mind here, I believe, is he's talking to a church, talking to churches, and I believe the feast that they would have been gathering together would have been that common meal, the, the Lord's Supper. So here you've got these people who are all week long partying, involved in sin, doing it blatantly and openly, doesn't care who's doing it with them, don't care who sees them, think everything, everything that they're doing, they're just enjoying themselves, they've got sin all over their face, but they'll come into the church and sit down and think they're deceiving everybody, acting like there's nothing wrong, I'm your brother and you're my sister and we're all good together. That's what they're doing. They're sitting around taking of the Lord's Supper, drinking the juice and eating the bread and saying, yes, we're a family. And in doing so, they just send themselves, send themselves into a state of numbness. Look at there in 14 where he says, as an heart they have exercised with covetous practices. I don't know if you can com commiserate with what I'm about to say or not. There's probably a couple of y'all that can. There may be certain things that at one point in your life you would have thought, I'd never do that. I can't imagine somebody that would do something like that. But then you take one step towards it, Maybe you got an invitation to do one thing and you start to participate in it. And before you know it, you wake up and you're saying, wow, 
I'm one of those people that did the thing that I thought nobody else would ever do. And what I'm trying to get you to see here is that that's the way sin does is it pulls us in. And I think even Christian people, I'm talking about people who are genuinely saved by the blood of the Lamb, I believe that those people too are just as susceptible. I don't think we're free. We are free from sin. It has no bondage over us, but we can yield ourselves to it. Romans 6 talks about this. And I think this happens where we get to that point where we just kind of get numb to the sin that we're doing. We're involved in it. We're, we're in the middle of it. And if somebody calls us out on it, we might try to be defensive and say, no, nah, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's not like that. Whatever, whatever our excuses are, but we're, we're just, we're numb with it. And he says there that we have exercised, our hearts, they have exercised with covetous practices. They've, we do it so much. We do it so much that, that, I mean, like I said earlier, we're good at it. We can deceive ourselves with the best of them. The thing is that that's just following an old playbook. Verse 15, they are, well, the last part of verse 14 says they're cursed children, meaning they were in the right way, they were doing the right things, so they've forsaken the right way and are gone astray. They knew the right way, but now they just left it, they've chosen to leave it. And in verse 15, the last part, he talks about this man, Balaam. You might remember him from the book of Numbers. He's a prophet. I believe, as best as I can understand, he actually genuinely had a relationship with God. He talked to God. God spoke to him. Don't know if we're going to see Balaam in heaven or not. Can't say that. I don't believe, I would like, I'd like to think maybe not based on everything I'm reading, but I don't know. I, wouldn't have said, I would have said Lot's not going to heaven, but the Bible seems to think that he is based on what Peter says in a few verses before this. But point is, here's Balaam, a man who's actually hearing from God. And what is, he, what is Balaam like? Balaam, it says there, he loved the wages of unrighteousness. This actually gave me a new perspective on that verse in Romans, you know, the wages of sin is death. Do you know that verse? Now, if you ever read, or if you ever say wages of sin is death, at least the way I've always read it, that sounds like a terrible thing, the wages of sin. I don't want the wages of sin. But it looks like here, Balaam liked the wages of sin. Why would that be? Well, because sin actually has some benefits. I'm going to stand here in a pulpit and preach to you about the benefits of sin. I'm not going to do that for very long because I don't think I have to convince you of that. The devil does a good enough job every day, all day, so I don't have to convince you of that. But I do need to convince you and help you understand that there is a wage to sin, just like you get a wage for your work, just like you get paid for things you do, just like you pay someone to do things for you. It's the same idea. When you sin, there's a reason. You get something out of it, don't you? If you ain't getting something out of it, you got something wrong with you. I can tell you the reason your sin is different than your sin is because that thing does something for you and that thing does something for you and that thing may not do it for everybody else, but it does it for you and that's why you do it. It's something beneficial to you about this. So Balaam loved the wage of sin. But these people that are openly flaunting their sin, they think they're fooling everybody and they're following after this wage of sin that they think is so wonderful, that is not going to be allowed to stand. So just as there is a reward for sin, there is also a rebuke for sin that is offered here. And you see this in verse 16, that Balaam was rebuked for his iniquity. You see, God comes to Balaam and says, you're daring to speak for me. And he was. I'm not going to let you get by with that. You're going to hear from me. I'm going to call you out on that. 
So much so that Balaam, God said, I don't care if I have to use a donkey to do it. And he actually did. Balaam is riding on this donkey, and that donkey finally, the, he sees the angel, and Balaam is blind to it. And ultimately, God opens the mouth of the donkey for the donkey to rebuke Balaam. And I'm telling you that story and reminding you of that story because God will use any means necessary to call us out on our foolishness. We ought not sit and toy with and play with and allow sin in our lives because it does provide us some pleasure, but we have to be careful not to fall in love with it. This is the problem. We fall in love with our sin. It will be fully rewarded. I promise you, you will be fully rewarded for your sin. Don't be ever so presumptuous as to think that God's not going to address my sin. I'm one of the special ones. I'm one of the good ones. He's, he's okay with me sinning every now and again. That's not how God thinks about it. And I know we never would actually say it that way, but look at our own lives. Do we not operate that way? As if somehow we've got special dispensation to go do some sin just because maybe nobody knows about it, maybe we're in a special place, or maybe our sin is not as bad as somebody else's sin. Whatever your excuses are, we've got our excuses, but I need you to see that we should never be so presumptuous to think that God will not address our sin or somehow he's okay with our sin because he's not. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, that means you will one day face judgment before God. And you will be sent, as Jesus says in Matthew 25, to the place that is prepared for the devil and his angels. I don't think that's by mistake the fact that those same demons that have been tempting you and you have been giving in, you have thought, I got this, it's no big deal, they got nothing on me you're actually going to be going on their home turf to be dwelt, dealt with and dwell with them for eternity. You're going to be destroyed by the very satanic forces that you thought today were no big deal, that you could handle today. Now you say, well, Matthew, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I'm not going to hell. You're singing that old uh, song that they sing at the Burlington Revival. I'm not going to hell. Yeah, I, I got you. I'm with you. I'm with you. You're not going to hell. But let me just warn you really quickly. If you are involved in any sin at all, and I'm, not talking, I'm talking about the, whatever we might argue is the littlest sin to the biggest possible sin you could imagine. No matter what that sin is, how bad it is, how many it is, how long you've been doing it, if you're not involved in some sin and God has not called you out on that, and you're not experiencing some conviction over that, if there's not been some way that it's been brought to your eyes, to your face, to say, this is something you need to stop. This is something you need to deal with. You might need to get some help from somebody on. If you've not done that, if that's not happened to you, you need to be very, 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 very concerned. Because God will reward your sin. God will rebuke your sin. And I want that rebuke right now. I don't want that rebuke on that judgment day. Because he'll rebuke you. He will. And you'll say, like those that Jesus said would say, well, Lord, don't you remember that time I prayed that prayer? 
Don't you remember that time I went forward and shook somebody's hand? Don't you remember that time that I, I, I told everybody I was a member of the church? Don't you remember what I did, how much money I've given? Don't you understand? And he's going to say, no, depart from me. I never knew you. Because he says in Hebrews, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. I'm telling you that to say, if you can look at your life, and I, I want to make sure we all are on the same page here. I don't know anything about you that, that you don't think I know, because I don't. I don't. Nobody's telling me. I'm not, I don't have a camera in your house. I don't know what's going on. It's not about me. You can even come to me and say, well, preacher, I'm not doing anything. Fine, I agree, you're great. But it doesn't matter what I think. My opinion does not matter. The question is, if you have sin that you know about, that the Lord has expressed to you, and he says, that's a sin, then you need to say, thank you, Lord, for calling it out. Help me to deal with it. If, on the other hand, there's a sin in your life and you've never felt the pangs of conviction, the worry that, man, I ought to stop that. Man, I ought to start doing this that's a sin of omission in my life. I need to fix that. I need to change that. If that's not happening for you, according to the Bible, you do not have the Holy Spirit living in you. And your only hope is to seek the Father's face. To make sure that sin is under the blood of the Son of Jesus Christ. And that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can, as Romans 8.13 says, kill that sin. If you've never been convicted of your sin, if you feel like everything is okay, and you think you can live this life as a sinless life, I, I, I think that you're not a Christian. The Bible says that if the Lord loves you, if you're one of His, if you're one of His sons, He will chasten you. And as a result of that, I'm going to talk to you as a believer now. Let's assume you're Christians. And I think most of you claim that, and I, I praise the Lord for that. If you are a Christian tonight, and the Lord does bring up to you, hey, there's something I need to, you need to deal with, Matthew. Stop doing that. Start doing that. Instead of pushing it off to the side... Instead of simply saying, I got this, it'll be all right. I can do this a little bit more. I'll just, or, sorry God, let me keep on going. I'll try it again later. Don't do that. Say, thank you, Lord, for bringing this sin to my mind. And claim 1 John 1, verse 9. Confess that sin. Say, Lord, that's bad. It's exactly what you think it is. It's awful. And I'm trusting your son's blood to forgive me for that sin. You do that, he says he'll forgive you. He says he will because he loves you. And if you're a Christian, your only hope is exactly what the unbeliever's hope is. Seek the Father's face. God, please help me. Make sure you're under the blood of Jesus Christ. And lean fully, wholly, totally on the Holy Spirit to kill that sin in your life. Follow what he tells you to do. Don't be so presumptuous to think you've got this because you don't. You don't. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast 
from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.